This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not the views and opinions of anyone. It's just a podcast, dude. Before we get started, I just wanted to let everybody know that we recently upgraded our room and audio setup, and as a result, we experienced a couple audio issues during this episode. And with the release of this episode, Season 1 of Two Smarks on a Mark is now complete. So be sure to check us out on the Cram Network at Patreon and also on YouTube as we now move into reaction videos that kind of expand and expose Mike a little bit more to the matches and people that we we're talking about. And keep a lookout in the future for Season 2 of Two Smarks on a Mark. Welcome, guys. My name is Alan Mateo. We're going to be talking about Mick Foley. I'm Mike Ford. I'm your Mark. I'm LaGuera. I'm Ray Rodriguez. Your encyclopedia. <laughs> I am the other Mark. You might be a Mark at this point. We may have switched places. When I was researching, I, I started marking out for Mick Foley because I wasn't the biggest fan. Like, I appreciate what he did. And then the more research I did, the more I was like, dude, you're just a good person, and you're, like, real chill and quiet. I you know, didn't know a whole lot about his personal life. Okay. I did not. I now know everything I need to know about Brett the Hitman fully. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Get out. No, okay. I did the typical amount of research that, that I am known for on this <laughs> show. And, okay, I have to come out right out the gate with this question. What makes a good wrestler that is a very open-ended thing but in mick's case well i mean no here's the thing because like mick foley didn't seem to be a good wrestler but he also seemed to be able to take a hit better and more spectacularly than anyone and if it wasn't spectacular enough the first time they hit him in the forehead with the chair they'd just do it five more times and he was just the master of taking a hit. But does that make him a good wrestler? Mick. I know his name. He's got to be a good wrestler, right? So so Mick, when he was coming up and he was training to be a wrestler, it's insane what this man was doing. So um, let's see here. He, was, he jumped off a building. In his, As a teenager, he jumped off a building onto a pile of like little mattresses, right? And that... That in itself is crazy because one thing goes wrong, cool, you've just hurt yourself. But I saw some images that looked like that stunt did go wrong and he did hurt himself. And he, when he was training, he was trained under Dominic DiNucci, right? Okay, classic. He, Everybody knows Dominic <laughs> DiNucci. Good old Dom. Good old Dom. DiNucci. But he, he was driving 27 hours to go train. And they said, if you set up the ring... You can train with us for like $25 a day, something super cheap. All right, so not only is he driving 27 hours, this, this just tells you his dedication. He's driving 27 hours from one city to another. I can't remember. Can we Google that, Mr. Google uh, Encyclopedia, that where he was training at versus where he lived? 27 hours, that's like you live in New York and you're driving to California to train. Yes, it was something along the lines of that. That's how dedicated that he was. He created this character called Dude Love when he was younger. Dude Love. I saw a little bit about Dude Love. That was embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, he didn't have the common decency to be embarrassed about that, but that was embarrassing. The whole idea behind Dude Love was that he was supposed to be everything that he wasn't. That was his version of Shawn Michaels. Gotcha. 
But so he's doing all this stuff. He's setting up the ring. Now, if you guys have probably never set up a ring, it's incredibly heavy. Those posts weigh a couple hundred pounds at least. I used to set it up when I would go and do shows on the road while that's, I was training. That's slinging the ropes. That's setting up the post, putting the mats down, doing the laying down literally the build the ring. Yep, you lay down the planks one by one. You have to set up the post. The post take two people to carry. I don't know how he did it by himself. You set them up. You do the planks. You do the framework. And then you do planks one by one. Make sure they fit well. And then you put very thin foam padding over it and some other stuff. It's it's not easy. I always thought the ring was more like um, like three-quarter inch plywood, something that had some real give to it. Is it, I mean, is it just like, one by six? What are those planks? They're big, long planks. They're big, thick planks. And I believe the idea behind it is because they're all, they span the size of the ring. They're not, like, sectioned. Right. The ring has a little give in the middle, which is why you're wrestling. When you're having a match, they said, you want to be in the middle of the ring because it's softest. And also, it looks best for the picture, for the camera itself. Okay. Right. And plus, if you ever take a bump to the side, like, taking a bump on the apron, like, outside of the ropes hurts it hurts so bad and i didn't like doing it <laughs> mcfoley so, did not mind going outside the ropes though so mike to answer your question that you asked at the very beginning yeah. if he's a good wrestler or not he's a very scripted wrestler so that means he's scripted as in it's a dance for him okay he may not be the best looking he may not be the most you know charismatic i guess you could say but he is very much scripted as I'm going to do it as hardcore as I can to give the fans a good show. And we're going to have this down to a ballet. You catch me, I catch you type of situation. As with, you know, whenever he had the Hell in the Cell with The Undertaker, that was a very scripted match because any one of them could have easily died. Well, but then we talk about like, We've talked about The Undertaker and his tombstone pile driver. Right. You know, we've talked about The Rock and the people's elbow, unfortunately. <laughs> Mick Foley, I, I can't pin a signature move to him. I can't pin that one thing that, like, that was his thing. His thing seemed to be taking a beating He was totally brutal. He was totally violent and brutal throughout the entire match. He loved a good prop. Uh, I mean, he went through tables. He uh, he brought out a bat wrapped in barbed wire. I mean, any match that the man ever had, someone's walking away bleeding profusely. Really quick, also, uh, your question was um, where he was living and where he was training at, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, That's correct. So um, shortly after his birth, he moved his family to Long, I- Long Island, about 40 miles east of New York City where he actually was in the wrestling school in Freedom, Pennsylvania, during several hours a week, uh, he would have to drive back and forth. So it wasn't in a closed location. It, he had to drive a couple of miles, yeah. hours away before he was either training or a couple hours the other way, and he would go to school. So he was gotcha. dedicated. He was very dedicated. Wow. And he, I, when I was reading about his story and looking up different things, it that came through that he was dedicated. He was also very smart. I mean, I'm sure you guys heard him talk. You you get in the ring, you get this picture of this man who is psychotic and deranged and angry, and then you hear him talk, and he's articulate, and he is quoting Mark Twain. I mean, he, it's, it's, it's amazing how different he is outside of the ring. The fact- I didn't hear him talk a whole lot. I didn't even watch any of his promos, and maybe I should have, but... 
in hearing him speak in the portions of the documentary I watched, he didn't sound punch drunk. He no, didn't no. sound like no, like not. Jimmy Snuka. He didn't sound like he could barely put two words together. He actually sounded very well-spoken, very well-thought. But he is very well-thought-out, and he is a very good speaker. He's an author as well. Oh, yeah. And he's very, very smart, and he's a method actor, believe it or not. Whenever he was mankind, his big promotional thing was, I live and sleep in the boiler room. And they even had a boiler room match. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you so, remember that? So and he was... would actually, hang on, he would actually, whenever, before these episodes aired, he would spend days sleeping in the actual boiler room of the places they were performing at. Wow. Off there, you know, in his spare time. Wasn't part uh, of anything. Just method acting. No, I mean, that's that's method as hell. Yeah. You're going to sleep in the up. boiler room? What was what <laughs> was mankind's thing? Like, The Undertaker, he was an undead dude. Hulk Hogan, he was basically Captain America. Just a psychopath, What was mankind's really? thing? He was the monster from the boiler room? Well, so here's the thing. He When he started wrestling, he knew, I don't have the look. I may not have the ability. That doesn't mean that I... That doesn't mean that I can't still contribute. Right. So his whole mindset, I said, was that if it hurts a little bit or hurts enough to me, people will believe it. And so he would do crazy plunges. He had this thing called the nesty plunge where he dove Mm -hmm. from the outside of the ring onto concrete. Okay. And it looked vicious. It's hard on the hips, everything. He destroyed his body. But right from the get-go, he was different and he stood out. But not like a traditional wrestler. He didn't look like Hulk Hogan. He didn't look like The Rock. He looked like a regular dude, but yeah. he could take amazing amounts of punishment. Wearing yeah. sweatpants out to the ring. <laughs> he, he lost shoes. several of his front teeth. Was that during a match? Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, this dude, Google guy, can you look up the definition of masochist? But whenever he was hired, because he came out on the scene and he, he actually got a lot of notoriety pretty quickly. He was in WCCW, I think is what it was. He wrestled Sting and he, he'd been wrestling yeah. for a couple of years. And okay. Sting was a big wrestler at the time and they brought him on because this is Cactus Jack. He's crazy. He's, he's the one who might beat Sting. And he so wait, was, he was, he he was also out. Cactus Jack? Yes. He had a lot of personas. He was Cactus Jack. He was Dude Love, Manson, Mankind, Mick Foley. When was he Manson? Oh, that was early in his career. And then it kind of freaked him out because they were paralleling him to Charles Manson. Yeah. And he was like, eh, it's a little dark for me. I mean, he's I'm, a, he's a heel, that. but you can go a little too far. Yeah, he so was, he kind of stepped away from that. He was saying that every promoter tried to give him the Manson name because they were like, that's perfect. We'll just we'll associate you with Manson so you seem like a lunatic. And mm-hmm. he didn't want that. He was like, oh, let's not. Because he had the long hair and the scruffy and just... He fit the Manson persona. Masochist, a person who derives sexual gratification from their own path or or own pain or humiliation. A person who enjoys an activity that appears to be painful or tedious. See, I I had I didn't know that the first definition always included sexual. I had actually heard, you know, that there is actually a personality type and it has nothing to do with sex. It simply has to do with the amount of endorphins you get from pain and being addicted to those endorphins. I think he's addicted to making his fans feel just amazing. So you you don't think he enjoyed the pain. You just think he didn't mind the pain and it was worth it for the fans. I think he was just one of the star-studded showmen. Okay. 
I think Vince, uh, Vince, I think Mick knew that, hey, I don't, I'm not The Rock. I'm not going to be Stone Cold. I'm not Sting. That doesn't mean there's something that I can't provide as a service to entertain people. And he just played up that aspect of himself. There was certain matches where he would fall on thumbtacks and he had said himself, it didn't hurt me enough. So it didn't do anything for the audience enough. So he would would throw himself even more onto the thumbtacks. And have even more stuck to him so the audience would have a bigger reaction. And, I mean, that really, when you say that, you know, he wasn't the face, he didn't have the, you know, I mean, his physique was fine. I can see what Vince saw in the dude. But, you know, you're saying he wasn't, like, the face, so he decided to go heel. But as a heel, like I said, the one thing that I came away with on my research was dude can take a hit. Dude was willing to punish his body. For the stunt. And you know what is so interesting is he was marked as this heel forever. He's the bad guy. I could not find any kind of publicity or remarks from any other wrestler that said a bad word about him. They all love him. Even the infamous match between him and Edge, when Edge was with Lita and they lit the table on fire, Mm -hmm. you know, she hit him right in the balls with the barbed wire bat. And she had said in an interview, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, I just hit him in the groin with the bat. I'm killing him. You know, this sucks. And then I light the table on fire and I feel the heat on me and I'm sitting here freaking out. I'm about to hurt my friend. Her friend. They were all loved him. Randy Orton never had a bad word to say about him. <laughs> I mean, that, believe it or not, crazy. it really is crazy. That speaks an an awful lot for an industry that is kind of about I'm the bigger badass than you. I'm the more alpha than you. You know, to have someone who honestly just gets along with everybody that is rare. Yeah, and that like this one match between Undertaker and Mick Foley. You know, Mick Foley falls through the cage. Spoilers. Sorry, everybody. But About 30 years to catch up. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? He think, Undertaker thinks he's seriously hurt down there because there's officials rushing the ring, and they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he's not moving or anything like that. So Undertaker jumps from the top of the cage into the ring, breaks his foot, and he like crawls up to Mick, you know, and Mick Foley is sitting there whispering to him the entire time, I love you, man. I love you so much. I love you. And they had such an unbreakable bond. Like, that's why I say he was scripted in his matches because they have to have that trust and that ballet together. But he also, I mean, he seemed to be willing to do stunts that other people weren't. Yes. You know, I mean, when the script said, okay, you're going outside the ring, going through the table and hitting the concrete, he was like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, so the the story goes, the famous match, Undertaker versus him, Hell in a Cell in 1998, was that Mick was talking to them and Terry Funk, who is Mick's mentor, he did, Terry, Mick fully did a lot of death matches and Terry Funk kind of took him under his wing and said, you know, I'm, let me show you the ropes. And they were joking. They were like, wouldn't it be funny if straight off the get-go, he just threw you off the top? Now, when you say a lot of death matches, um, are you talking about kind of the underground, I think it was Chicago, where it was just like the extreme barbed wire blood wrestling, like they were just... The extreme brutality? Yes. So is to, that where he got started? To answer your question and to get into it, uh, into his beginning, is like he started with wrestling and at some point he 
started doing deathmatch stuff because of Terry Funk. And when I say deathmatch, I mean like working, like you just said, barbed wire bats, working Saw with blades, tacks, glass tubing, things that are very, very detrimental to you. One of the, like supposedly he had a match with Terry Funk that was a C4 deathmatch where they set off C4 in the ring. And Mick, yeah, Mick said that the, he took a blast from him, like from the side, and that it burned his clothing. It singed him. He could smell his hair and burning flesh. Wow. Yeah, he, Mick knew but that. But these were also the matches where the, the ropes were wrapped with razor wire. Yes. I mean, that's what people went to go see was them, them actually being injured. His nickname is uh, the Hardcore Legend because of it. And Mick was doing all these things around this time, and the whole time he's getting recognition despite not having that traditional, maybe, like, superstar look. And so the story goes that Jim Ross was pastoring Vince McMahon. Like, hey, you need to look at this guy, Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, you need to look at him. You can't talk about JR without mimicking his voice, though. <laughs> I can't mimic JR. Vince, Vince, you know this guy named Mankind. He needs to be in the WWF. He's in the WCW right now. I've known him for years. So he has seven, that son of a bitch. <laughs> he has seven ring names: Cactus Jack, Dude Love, Cactus Jack Manson, Jack Foley, Mankind, Mick Foley, and Nick Foley. <laughs> and Mick Foley. Mick Foley and Nick Foley. Yep. Mick and Nick. Okay. Um. <laughs> Once again, uh, I'm just saying that maybe the writer strike should have affected the writers of WWE because <laughs> now that's it, phony. Is it, it the writers that it. came up with his name, or did he come up with his own I think, names? No, I, I heard a rumor as a kid that no one could remember his name, uh-huh. and uh, especially the girls he dated could not remember his name while they were on dates. They would always call him Nick uh, uh-huh, or okay. something, and so he kind of always. Like, I think Dude Love was, he was in a, a movie, like a home movie that he made for himself. It was like a 40-minute movie, but it was like the story of not Nick. Okay. It, it was something like that. But it always really got to him that no one could remember his name. It's funny so that you... So he ended you, up making that, like, a thing, apparently, and it's, he went by Nick Foley. It's funny you mentioned how he has girlfriends and stuff. He's actually been with his wife that he's been married to since 1992. He has been wow. with her the entire time. She's been with him the entire time, and they have four kids together. Like, talk about loyalty. No, through no, all I'll, of the fame and that just gets me into the scandals because I know one of his heroes was Jimmy Snuka, oh. and we've talked about that piece of trash <laughs> and how faithful he was to his wife. <laughs> so, so it, it kind of makes me have to ask the question: Have there been any major Mick Foley scandals where there was like? abuse or there was you know, a, a I, prominent side piece that he flaunted I never regardless. read anything negative about him. Quite the opposite. Really? So Mick, the worst thing that I heard from Mick was that he was dating a girl who thought that Cactus Jack, this person he portrayed before he got in WWE, right. Cactus Jack, this person he portrayed in wrestling, that's who he really was, that he was a sadomasochistic person. Oh, that's unfortunate. And he couldn't, he couldn't reveal that, hey, that's not who I really am. And so he said he got to the point where he just had to keep this facade up as Cactus Jack around her until one day <laughs> she finally figured out, you're not really Cactus Jack, are you? And that's how the relationship ended. 
You're not Batman. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, I, I don't really blame him for that one. But he actually works for the RAIN network, which is the Rape and Incest National Network. Where really? They, they work against that. Oh, my God. Like, okay. Mick, so do you know who Tori Amos is? Yes. Yeah, I've heard of Okay. Him. Mick loves Tori Amos. He said he heard one of her songs. Maybe it was Wind, Fire, something like that. Icicle. And he said he was enchanted. He just sat there and couldn't believe this. Tori Amos has an, an enchanting voice. And that he was doing this work for Rain, and that he saw Tori Amos, and he finally, he, you know, he goes, you know, hi, nice to meet you, blah, blah, you probably don't know me. And she goes, I know exactly who you are, Mick Foley. <laughs> and she says, I've seen how much money you donated to Rain, and she puts her hand on his shoulder and goes, you've done enough. Wow. Yeah. Mick wow. Has, Mick has logged 550 hours on the Rain Network talking to people who are having crises. In an industry that seems sometimes filled with scumbags and an industry that is led by scumbag captain, that's actually really refreshing to hear. Right? Right? Mm -hmm. When a celebrity tells you you've done enough. Like I watched a video of Dee Snyder saying that Mick Foley has made me a better person for how much he has given to charities and organizations. Wow. Dee Snyder putting over Mick Foley. Yeah, he is currently signed, he's currently signed to WWE under the company's uh, Legends program, acting as a company ambassador. Okay. And to go back to that and to finally... So he's not still wrestling, but he is still working with the WWE. No, he retired in 2012. Okay. Think yeah. of a Legends contract as almost like a pension. Yeah. You've done enough for the company that you are now permanently being paid for the company, as long as you don't screw it up completely. But occasionally show up and show your face and, and give the fans a treat. And Vince better be thanking his lucky stars that JR convinced him and to have him come aboard. So it was, it was JR that convinced him to originally come aboard. Yeah. Yes, and to finally answer your question is that the JR pestered him enough to where finally Vince goes, Fine, we'll bring him on, but we're going to cover up his face. Mm-hmm. Therefore, mankind was born. You know, I've seen a picture of the dude. He's not that bad. I mean, but compared it, to Triple H and Edge and Chris Jericho, yeah, but compared to, compared to the Undertaker, Undertaker yeah, you know, has that bad boy, dark, mysterious. I'm, I'm not saying that Undertaker doesn't have so the just hands has, down charisma. He has that but, sex appeal. Mick Foley doesn't really have any kind of sex appeal. Let's be honest. I I have no frame of reference for that. <laughs> but he's um, not a pretty man. I mean, Mick Foley is an attractive guy. Back in the day, he was an attractive guy. Mick Foley, you were a sexy, when, sexy individual. When he first started out, I will give you that. He was an attractive man. But as time went on and the matches got more brutal and he lost more teeth and okay. he got more scars on his face. When he was a young dude, he definitely, he wasn't a butterface. He just, you know, no, wasn't he, like top tier. <laughs> You know everything but, butter face. But but then okay, <laughs> after you get smacked in the face with a baseball bat a couple of times, that's gonna rearrange things and maybe mess with your symmetry a little bit. I get that. Yeah, and he didn't care. I mean, he went for gross out factor, honestly. He would rip off his dirty ass sock and shove it down someone's throat, you know. Okay. Which actually But he wasn't he, gargling worms. No, he wasn't. That was that's a whole different gross out factor. That's what I'm saying. But a sweaty sock in someone's mouth, that is pretty gross. Which, actually, that move 
it's meant to it really subdues people like he learned that from some doctor that turned wrestler i read that this morning it was a neurosurgeon something do or whatever and what you do is you stick your ring finger and your index finger in the person's mouth underneath their tongue and your thumb goes underneath your, their chin and it completely subdues them and it can make them black out if you hold it there long enough so it makes you think, like, before he got Socko involved, he would do that with his just bare hand, right? He called it the mandible claw. So, yeah, the mandible claw, exactly. The claw. I've heard so, of the claw. That's from uh, Liar he would, Liar. He would get You're the, scared of the claw. He would get the sock out. And my personal theory is just for health reasons. So that if they happen to chomp down from blacking out, you know how sometimes that happens, it would protect his hand. And this is WWE for me in, in every way and every metaphor possible. Dude has a sock puppet named Socko. <laughs> how it's mind, Mr. Socko. How mind-numbingly stupid is that? But then he shoves that sock down someone's throat. And that just... And, and his weapon is called Mr. Socko. And it just... It's one of those things where it's like it's the epitome of stupid and clever at the exact same time. And the fact that he did it to Vince. Oh, he did it to Vince? Mick he Foley. did it to Vince. Okay. <laughs> if anyone deserves a sweaty sock shoved down their that throat. That was a great one. <laughs> Mick Foley is definitely an anomaly in wrestling because he doesn't fit the traditional bill. But he got so popular. Supposedly, he said he did Mr. Socko because I think Gerald Briscoe, one of the guys, was like, yeah, just try to piss off Vince. Do like a little sock puppet. And he did a little Mr. Socko. And then the next week on TV, there were signs for Mr. Mr. Socko. And it became a thing. And have a nice day. Yeah. When he got hired, he got hired because... Vince McMahon was being badgered so much, he's like, fine, I'll hire him. And he said himself that, Vince goes, if Vince really believes in you, you're going to get invited to the mansion. Chris Jericho got invited to the mansion when he met Vince. Right. If he really likes you, you get invited to the office. You know, you'll get invited there and you'll meet with Vince. Or if you've got, if, if they've got no plans for you, you just got lucky enough to get in WWE, you meet with the assistant. Okay. Mick met with the assistant. Right, yeah. And it was never on the cards for him to be this big superstar champion. It just kind of happened naturally, and he was in the right place at the right time. Because he could take the hits. Yeah. In a spectacular fashion. I mean, I watched the dude go through a table that looked like it hurt like hell. It probably did, but I don't. that's the entertainment value. I mean, the, the dude could take a hit. I can see why the audience went wild for him. And you know, that's amazing to me that that's the thing that impresses you about him is him going through a table. Well, it's not <laughs> With just, all the other sets that he's pulled. It's not just going through the table. It's getting whacked on the forehead with a metal chair mm-hmm. and then shaking his head. So he gets literally whacked three more times. I mean, every clip I saw of him for anything, like it didn't matter what match, it didn't matter what, every match I saw from him or every clip I saw was him getting the crap beat out of him or him doing something incredibly dangerous and generally what looked like even if you do it safely, it still hurt. That's all I saw from him. And just the fact that he kept getting back up and shuffling to the opponent. You remember his little shuffle he would do? (laughs) And, you know, Mick worked within the confines of his character. He was so, to go back to the method acting, he was such a good actor because he was presented, all right, well, Mick, we're going to we're gonna call you Mankind the Mutilator or something like that. The story goes that Vince said, 
we, you know, we've had destroyers, we've had barbarians, we've had this, but we haven't had mutilators. And do you think Vince was just trying to get him to eventually be Manson the mutilator? I think he was going for that kind of vibe, yes. And Mick, instead of being like, you know, that's a great idea, but what if we just take off the Manson and the mutilator part and just call him Mankind the mutilator? And we just do Mankind. Mick would think of how to adjust something and tweak it to where it fits him a little better. And that's how the whole boiler room thing got started, and that's how he got his start in WDB was wearing that leather mask. So with all of his different personas, like the seven different ones that he did, did they all kind of have their own storyline, or he was he always, did he represent that kind of monster from the boiler room? No, like Cactus Jack was really just balls-to-the-wall type of wrestler. Did he bring um, cactus, cacti into no, the No, but ring? he did bring metal trash cans full of trash. Okay. And he was just brutal. Like he didn't, he didn't care, you know. And I think really the the violence of what he did to himself came out more with mankind. I feel the there was a level of brilliance to it because they gave him they gave him some time. He would take his time that he would get, and he would do the most of it. And supposedly he they said we're going to interview mankind so people can know more about you because you're kind of freaking people out right now. And he would take parallels in his life and just put them under the guise of mankind. He said, I would be mankind and I'd be talking about my life. Okay. But I would be doing it as mankind. Mm -hmm. And that's where the transition slowly started where like, hey, wait a minute. This isn't a dude. This is is a facet of a bigger personality being McFoley. And it sort of naturally, as people started to realize that, he became more popular and more of a bigger. He became more known by his name than his stage name. Yes. And he actually achieved, like, that real Mick Foley fame. Some of Mick Foley's uh, injuries ha- are eight concussions, two-thirds of his ear ripped off, uh, two nose breaks, broken cheekbone, four teeth knocked out, broken jaw, dislocated and broken left shoulder, separated right shoulder, second-degree burns on arm and shoulder, broken wrist, right wrist, broken left thumb, 54 stitches on the left arm, bone chipped in elbow, bruised kidney, two her- her- herniated discs, Torn abdominal muscles, five broken ribs, torn ACL, and torn toe. Or broken toe, I apologize. And that's exactly why he retired at such a young age compared to some of the others. He's had such a good career. He's been WWF champion three times. It was never in the cards for him. He retired. He brought back. He got brought back multiple times. Okay, so even though he basically just took a beating throughout his entire career, he still won a fair share of matches. He yeah, to be I mean, a he was a four-time world champion. Okay, and that's that's a pretty big deal. Do you remember that one match that he had where Stone Cold came out of nowhere in his like street clothes, and pretty much Mankind was just you know laid there dead, you know, because he got the shit beat out of him, and Stone Cold ripped him up off of there and put him on the guy, like he knocked out the guy and put Mankind on him so that he would win. Was that on Raw? Yeah. yeah. So, funny story about that is that this, whenever Mankind was coming up, this was during the WCW Monday Night Wars. So, WWE and WCW were going head-to-head to see who was better. Right, and Mankind had moved from death matches to the WCW. He had moved to the WWE, and he had started okay. making, after the interviews, he started making this organic change to where, like, hey, people are cheering for you, and people are recognizing you more. And during WCW... Towards the end of it, they go, hey, guys, there's no need to tune into Raw 
it's pre-taped. Mankind is going to win the world title. You're welcome. Keep watching us. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's dirty. Shots fired. Mick Foley's total wrestling matches were 1,365. 657 of those were wins and 708 were losses. What was crazy about the that spoiler that they give is that they gave that spoiler, hey, Mankind's going to beat The Rock. He didn't beat Joe Schmo. He beat The Rock. Oh, wow. And when they said that, they said they lost almost what, 50, 60% of their viewership jumped over to WWE to watch Mankind beat The Rock. To watch the taped version that they already knew was going to happen. Yep, yeah. It backfired spectacularly. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> you know what's funny, talking about The Rock, you bring it up, that I, I think that Mankind is the only one that has made The Rock break character. Really? I, I think so, honestly, because they were, you know, talking shit to each other inside the ring and Mankind has the microphone, and he goes, so, Rock, how does that make you feel? And Rock goes, mm, well, and Mankind, Mankind goes, it doesn't matter how it makes you feel. And he starts running around the <laughs> ring, I got the Rock, I got the Rock, you know, just going nuts. And the Rock is sitting there just dying, trying not to laugh out loud, but he's he's smiling so big, like, he fucking got me. He's chanting, like, fully to himself. <laughs> yeah, it's just the best. I think he's the only one that's ever truly, genuinely made him break character. Well, you know, so Mankind, or Mick Foley had all these personalities that match, and he got over, he got real popular, and then he said, eventually he realized he couldn't keep up with the damage that I was doing with his body. Mm-hmm. Right, well, yeah. And he said that he started to transition more of a comedy role. Yeah. And then that's when he got even more popular. And one mm-hmm. of the things that really cracked me up is that he they got to the point where like they were doing a storyline and Vince was injured and they're trying to stretch her Vince out onto a gurney and they go, Mick, 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 just go out there, just go out there, just do something. And you can see Mick, he just comes out there, he's like, Oh, can I help you somehow? And he takes a soda, like a soda fountain drink, and he tries to like put it up to Vince's like mouth to get him to drink. And you can see Vince is smiling and he's trying to ignore him. And he's like, you know, just trying to like bring him snacks and stuff like that. It's so good. And the the whole thing with the rock, the rock and sock connection is what it was called. Yeah. God, I okay. forgot about that. And I guess, I mean, like thumbtacks, that looks horrible, you know, but a thumbtack is that long and it pierces a little bit of your skin and it causes a little, you know, tiny little drop of blood. Painful, sure, pulling them out, no treat. But he did stunts that had to have caused serious, and I mean, we read through the list. Mm -hmm. There was like internal damage. There was serious concussions. There was a lot more than the cosmetic damage that a lot of wrestlers seem to do of just, you know, putting a little bit of color on the board. Mm -hmm. I mean, he seemed to do like, he seemed to take some real damage. I mean, that, that does explain why he, again, like you said, why he stopped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you say, you talk about the thumbtacks, right, and say, well, it's just a little prick, you know, whatever. Randy Orton actually has a story of him doing that match with Mick Foley, mm-hmm. you know, when he was just starting out. That's and after he retired, too. Yeah, he, Randy Orton's just a baby in this wrestling match, and he said that he actually went and bought some thumbtacks, and he went to his apartment, and he was like, I'm just just for funs, for shits and giggles, let's see how bad this actually hurts. So he put it on the floor, and he went to lay back on it. He was like, ah, no, not happening. So then the match day comes, and Mick Foley throws out his bag of thumbtacks, and Randy Orton's like, I'm going to get this bitch before he gets me, right? 
So he goes to try to, what, RKO him or something like that? He goes to the RKO, yep. And then um, McFoley just completely, what, reverses it. And there goes Randy Orton straight into this pile of thumbtacks. If it happens... If it happens quick, it doesn't hurt as bad. <laughs> I mean, seriously. You should see his face in the match. Well, I remember there was, like, this stupid thing that we used to do when we were in high school. You know, the boys trying to prove that they're boys and men and whatever. And it was, you would take a stapler and you'd put it on your arm and then someone would slap the stapler. Yep. And they'd put a staple into the meaty part of your arm. Mm-hmm. And it really didn't hurt going in. It was when you tried to pull it out later that it really was like, oh, that, that stings. If it goes fast enough, a thumbtack going in doesn't really hurt. You've got a point, but to be fair, it's but not... But you, you have to pull every one of those out later. It's not... It, whenever Mick brought out that bag, it was a huge bag of thumbtacks. And you it's can like go... like a pillowcase. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> you can, if you go back and you watch the match, you can see Randy Orton just kind of hesitates for just a little second. He kind of takes a little small step. Because he knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And as soon as he hits, you see him get up and his whole back is covered in tacks. And you see his hands just start shaking because this is, hey, hey, this is real. Like, you yeah. just landed on thumbtacks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, can, I can definitely understand the adrenaline rush. And, I mean, that the realization of what you've done, your body going into a little bit of shock because of so many, inju- so many small injuries that all across your body. That and the fact that he wasn't expecting it to happen to himself. <laughs> He was expecting a couple of thumbtacks stuck to him, not his entire back and on his face. So was that a situation where you think beforehand Foley was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go into the thumbtacks. But then when it happened, he was just like, "See, I was sorry, I'm the big man in the ring. I, Boop. I forgot to mention this earlier when I was talking about how I feel he is scripted or that he is scripted as a ballet and stuff is. Right. He is also very much improvising. Well, and so you're correct. I feel that's exactly what happened because he improvised a lot of his big moves. Like he probably with Undertaker and Hell in the Cell, you know, they said, "Okay, well, I'm going to throw you off of the thing or whatever, but this is where you're going to land." Mick says, "No, that ain't where I'm going to land." <laughs> <laughs> well, a dance is improvisational. So really, yeah. really quick uh, on a bro- on a lighter note. Tori Amos in 1993, the song name was Winter from the Little Earthquake Winter. album. Okay. Just to make sure you're correct. All right. This is what Google Guy is here for. <laughs> right. To make sure that we don't have a whole bunch of people yelling at us online <laughs> because we said that he liked the song Icicle. Well, you know, the story goes that with during the Hell in the Cell match, after the first big moment happened, Undertaker was supposed to be like, Mick, let's just go home. Yeah. Let's just finish the match. Let's go home. Mick's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I love you, brother. Let's keep going. Yes, and he came running back down the damn ramp. I forgot about that. Yes, that's perfect example of his improvisation skills. He was stretched out, stretchered out from the ring by medical personnel and everything because you're not moving. You just fell off a big, huge fucking cage. Your where shoulder you, is dislocated. You just described seeing people as ants and you jump <laughs> into the floor he comes waddling back down the ramp to go kick his ass some more and climbs up the cage and maybe this time is a good time to throw in a little bit of a promo keep your eyes on the cram network on youtube and rumble 
We will be having a reaction video posting soon where I, for the first time ever, will be watching Hell in a Cell uh, as these two react to me reacting to this iconic match for the first time ever. It's one thing to talk about it, but when you see it, you'll see how the brutality that you spoke of, the punishment that he took, that kind of match can never, ever happen again. He went to the back and Vince McMahon goes, thank you, thank you so much for doing everything that you've done for this company. Please don't ever do that again. How many matches did he have after that Hell in a Cell before he either took a step back and started being more of the comedian and less of the taking the brutal punishment or before he just retired altogether? So there's a match that he did do, Royal Rumble 98. I don't know if that's before Hell in a Cell or after Hell in a Cell, but he... After? after? So... Royal Rumble is a bunch of wrestlers in the ring the together. Only, the at only the same match time. I've ever seen in my yeah. entire life was a Royal Rumble. I think it was Royal Rumble '89. Yeah, and it's like a last man standing type of situation. Yeah. He last is person the, to go over the top rope. He is the only wrestler to come in with all of his personas <laughs> <laughs> through the whole match. They kick his ass out of there, throw him over the ropes. He's off. He's done. Cactus Jack, you out of here. Well, guess what? I'm mankind now. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yes, he did. came back with all of his personas. Just kept on waddling back in there. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> they hilarious. They kept throwing him out. <laughs> he <laughs> but he's get... like, no, I'm dude love now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. That's maybe another one we'll just have to watch. Yeah. Because, uh, that's a good one. That sounds, that sounds <laughs> as good as the one that I watched where... To it's be honest, excellent. the only reason I sat there watching the whole thing was just to see if Ric Flair won. Yeah. But he did. And you know I, and I was happy I watched the whole thing. I really feel like he is so underestimated though by other wrestlers. Like there's a famous interview that Hulk Hogan did where he's talking about, yeah, these other guys like Mick Foley, they just sit around eating cheeseburgers and ice cream the entire time. I'm in the gym two hours a day, every day, working out. Did Foley win that Royal Rumble? Did one of his personas ever no. keep around? around? He, he just kept getting thrown. But he kept coming back. <laughs> but that interview, that really upsets me because I really feel that like he was so underestimated. And they just, they didn't get it. Like, well, but also, I mean, if you're Hulk Hogan and you have spent your entire life trying to manufacture a perfect body to go with the perfect face and the perfect hair to be the perfect face. Hair lightly, come on. And then you run into a guy who's like, never going to be there. <laughs> I'm glad you got that. Sorry. He has, he has the blonde silken locks that just... <laughs> That happened like under his ears. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, the way I look at it, if you're, if you are, if Hulk Hogan, who is considered one of the greatest wrestlers, the greatest showmans in the business, is threatened enough by Mick Foley that he needs to talk shit about him, yeah. how big of a compliment is that to Mick Foley? How long does it take in your life between before you just sit back and you're like, look, I don't got it. I'm not going to get it. I'm going to have me a cheeseburger. But and he, I'm going to let you worry about having that perfect physique. But if you want to look at their dynamics on how they wrestle, Mick Foley blows him out of the water, honestly. with his, Not even with his stunts. Hogan can't take a hit. No, he, he can't, can't give a he hit. He can't take a punishment like Mick Foley can. Mm, I mean, oh, nowhere, no. not even in the... I'm not even sure a match between him and Hulk Hogan would be that entertaining because Hulk Hogan can't deliver those hits. Hulk I mean, Hogan I never watched him during the Attitude area. 
Hulk Hogan would be sitting there judging the entire time. And just like, mm. That's mean enough. That hurts. That hurts inside. <laughs> where it doesn't so, show so well. He's such a pansy tool. No, I'm just saying, God. like, I mean, yeah, was I he ever able to really deal out damage even in the Attitude Era? I think he was just, like, a pub- publicity stunt, honestly. I don't ever feel that he's been that great. I think The Rock could actually deliver a real people's elbow to Mick Foley, and Mick Foley would take it. Like a real flying elbow to the bridge of the nose, not where the elbow hits like three feet away. He would tell him to go harder. And I think Foley would take it, and he'd be like, good, great, great game. Good Good match, good show. Yeah. Speaking of that. So we've established that Mick was never in the cards until they realized how great of a guy he was, that he was never in the cards to be champion. Right. But he happened to be in the right place at the right time. So, and this, well, I don't want to say allegedly. Well, let's, let's stick with that. We'll go with allegedly. allegedly. That way no one can sue us. Mick, don't sue us. <laughs> the Rock was champion at the time, and he had developed um, man boobs, supposedly from steroid use. Oh, well, that will happen. And if you go back, you'll see that he's wearing, like, this long shirt. He's not shirtless. He's wearing this long sleeve shirt during this championship match. Yeah. He had to go and get reduction, breast reduction surgery to, really? to fix this. And they said, well, we need a champion. Austin's out. It can't be this guy. And The Rock has boobs, so it can't <laughs> be The Rock. And someone was like, you know who's not out? Mankind. And I, I just picture Vince going, Ugh, fine. We'll make him champion. And it became... It now, was this in the Brutal Punishment era of McFoley, or was this more in the comedic era of McFoley? This was in Brutal Punishment era of McFoley. Okay. He'd gotten so over. And he wasn't champion for that, that long, but the fact that he won, his segments have been some of the consistently highest rated among WWE. So they had this brutal thing, and his whole philosophy was that if he could take this much punishment, it makes the enemy, the opponent, look that much better. Yeah. Rock looked that much better. So vicious, hit him in the, the head 11 times with chair shots. Oof. Just took it one after the other, and Rock looked like a monster. And that was something Google guy over there was talking about, eight concussions. Mm-hmm. My <laughs> ass. Mm-hmm. My literal ass, eight concussions. Eight concussions in a match. Eight concussions last <laughs> week. There is no way that that guy only suffered eight concussions throughout his entire career. He, I think, I want to say he was by, before his 40s, he had retired, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. And he was getting ready to settle down. He had done all these things and they kept calling him back. And that's when Randy Orton happened. Hey, listen, Mick, I know you're retired. I want to come back. And then Edge. And so he came out just specifically to put Randy Orton over? They kept calling him back. And yes, that was the idea. It's like, hey, we're trying to make him the legend killer. Do you want to make him the legend? And you look at interviews with Randy Orton, and he'll go, yeah, I love Mick. He helped me become who I was because of that match. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Edge, going through the table. That made Edge look that much better to me. And Edge, he gave an interview saying how he was terrified to do that stunt because he sweated off all of the anti-flame gel that they shower him in, you know, for this stunt because Mm -hmm. it's scripted, right? And he was like, I just sweated all of it off. Mick is sitting there wearing layers of clothing. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he does this night. They go to the freaking table on fire. Mick, of course, hits first. And then Edge, he is just in total shock because he said he looked over and his body is just smoking because oh. all that gel had melted off of him. So his body is just singeing right now. 
And he was like, that kind of does something to your brain. And so he's like crawling on his knees, just barely able to move his upper body (laughs) and then just kind of falls on Mick Foley and he wins, of course. But just, God. And the fact that Mick Foley would just do that every single time. But I also think that 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 really does kind of show one of the things that makes Mick Foley special, a certain genius to the way he went to wrestling. Mm Mm-hmm is there's an old trope in comedy that says that, you know, if someone's walking along and they slip on a banana peel, that's funny. If they then sit up and they put their hand to the back of their head and there's blood, well, that's not funny anymore. Mick Foley always looked like what he was doing hurt, but it didn't hurt enough that I felt bad for him. It never really triggered my empathy where I'm like, man, this guy's just... Getting the crap beat out of him. It was like, oh, that guy's getting the crap beat out of him. You know, I mean, he really walked that line where you didn't feel sorry for him, but it did look like it hurt. Well, you know, my viewership of wrestling, uh, it was during the Mankind era, the brutal, violent era, where every match, someone walked away bleeding. And that was known as the Attitude Era, right? And Yeah. And... Just, yeah, like you said, you never felt sorry for him. You never felt like, oh, my God, he's so hurt or, you know, sad or anything. You, well, me personally, I was like, God, what a badass. Like, that's just amazing. And he's still standing up and he's coming towards him. Oh, my God. The guy who literally has shattered his arm so many times, his arm is wrapped around his neck, who stands up and keeps coming. Yeah. You gotta just admire that, and you don't feel sorry for. That's, for it's I mean, amazing. It, he walked that fine line between empathy and and brutality. That I I don't know. I think that really speaks very highly for him. And that speaks to his understanding of psychology. You know, Vince Vince. I keep saying that Mick was an ECW, and he was a heel. Mm-hmm. I think Vince, one of the one of his girlfriends when he was in high school, called him Vince on a date. Really? Yeah. Like as far away from Mick as you can get. That's what I'm saying. Nobody could ever remember the dude's name as a kid. Poor Mick. Mick had such good psychology. Poor Mick. So you you know ECW, right? Extreme Championship Wrestling. Uh, yeah. Yes, I've heard that it's Extreme Championship. And <laughs> it's wrestling. wrestling. Well. So the whole thing with ECW is you take a bunch of sadomasochists and you put them together. Okay. And you get a bunch of rabid fans who love it. These, these were the death matches. Yes. ECW, where the barbed wire. We were talking about it earlier. Okay, ECW, gotcha. So Mick comes in and like, Mick, you're going to be the bad guy. He's like... How do you be the bad guy in something that brutal? Exactly. And you know what Mick did? Mick goes, this whole extreme championship stuff, barbed wire and all that stuff, yeah, I do that. But if I'm the bad guy, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do any of that. And so Mick's idea was that I'm just going to have a match where I put this guy in a headlock over and over and over again. (laughs) And it was so, he said that he was so hated that he sent out some guy to like sell shirts and he came back with like loogies on him. He was like, Mick, they don't want the shirts. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the town that he did that in probably makes a difference. There are certain towns where I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. But certain cities in America that... That's almost a show of respect when people are spitting on you. <laughs> and, and people were calling it a one-star match, but like he was talking to his friends, like, dude, that's a four-star match. Him. They hated you him. Did exactly what, what, they did exactly what you wanted them to do. They got, they got you hated Yeah, by doing the opposite of what everyone else did. But like we said earlier, in real life, he was so loved by all of his other opponents. And, 
they all considered each other friends and stuff. Like, they would be on the road. Triple H has a famous story where he's walking there in the locker room or somewhere, and all the other wrestlers and talent, they are going to get hotel rooms and getting fancy food, takeout, and this and that. Mick is laying there asleep underneath newspapers <laughs> on the bench like a homeless person. And Triple H goes up to him, dude, go get a freaking hotel room. Like, what is, you have money. You're fine. Another story is whenever they would go be on the road and after the show's over, raw, whatever have you, he would go up to concessions and ask for a trash bag full of their popcorn <laughs> that they had left over instead of throwing it away. Just put it in this bag, give it to me. And he would get in the car with all the other wrestlers to go to the next show, and he's sitting there eating that damn popcorn <laughs> while they're going to Burger King and McDonald's and stuff. So he's like such humble Places. Like real, real humility real, that does that just real comes frugal, from inside. and you know he's sending all of his paychecks to his wife and kids. Yeah, you know, and that's very smart. Like he's a smart guy. He's like, honey, go pay off the mortgage. You know, here you go. I'm not blowing through my money. Like, and it shows because he's reaping the benefits of that today. Yeah, he's not hurting. As far as I understand it, he is well. All that frugality paid off, and he nice. is yeah. set up for quite a while. And we're forgetting, okay, so real quick before I forget, the Rock and Sock Connection, he did Rock, This Is Your Life. He did a parody segment of that. Okay. <laughs> and it is currently the highest rated segment ever for WWE. Did he just bring out old wrestlers that The Rock had fought? He brought out The Rock's teacher. Okay. <laughs> 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 and, and people from The Rock's past. It was so good. It was so good. Okay, you know this question was coming. Did Mick Foley ever fight Goldust? He had to have. They had to have. You know, I don't... Encyclopedia Brown has something to say. Hang on. Oh, let me pull it back up. Encyclopedia (laughs) Brown. So you were saying that Mick Foley and Triple H were, you know, they were friends. They were not. They actually hated each other, uh, even though they did not bring it across onto onto the ring. Uh, There was definitely a... A tension between them. However, the game was ne- was one man that never clicked with Foley. Foley's own son Mickey even went on went out of his way during a live stream to claim that Triple H hated his father. In real life? Wow! Show, really? Showing there was clearly an issue between the two celebrity wrestlers. Some people don't like the nice guy. Yeah. Well, some I mean, some people don't like the guy that everybody likes. That sucks. I really thought that. They well, liked each other. And a lot of times, if you're the guy that everybody likes, and then someone else comes along that everybody likes, yeah, you hate that guy. Because I know during the Attitude Era that they had a big, huge, er, you know, but that was, They, they got, did so much real. for each other, though. Yeah, yeah, they did. Like, they helped each other out a whole lot. So, well, I mean, at some point, business is business, I would imagine. It doesn't matter if you like it. You know, I mean, you're fighting in the ring. Triple H has got to think, hey, I'm going into a match with this guy. I hate his bleeding guts. Yeah, but But I even... also have the opportunity to strike him several times with a chair. But see, you <laughs> even... Oh, he did. So he fought Gold Dust. We have had a, ma- a couple matches. That's... Uh, that's just... I hate Gold Dust, but I love <laughs> to watch people fight him. It's just amazing that Triple H would not like him in real life, though, because you have Randy Orton, who was destined to be the legend killer, fighting against him... And he still loves him in real life. But what about, I mean, you have to look at what other connections, you know. 
Triple H is married to Stephanie, right? Is that him? Yeah. Okay, so Vince never really liked Mick Foley. I mean, he made money for him, but it sounds like he had a, an uphill battle all the way, and Vince was never really in his corner. So you can imagine that, you know, if your father-in-law hates a guy, his daughter probably hates that guy, and you probably... I guess. That just makes me think so much less... There's a lot of stuff behind Stephanie That just makes me so much less of Triple H, honestly. Well, you have to keep in mind, and yes, Stephanie loves Mick Foley. Okay. She fucking loves him. Okay. Maybe it's rebellion against her daddy. You you have to keep in mind, these are wrestlers who are naturally narcissistic. It's part of the business. Yeah. They have these great bodies. They've sacrificed. And then you have this guy who was never supposed to be a superstar, who got organically elevated by the people because he was so likable. Of course Hulk Hogan's not going to like him. Of course Triple H, who was deeply insecure at that time, wouldn't have liked him because this is a guy who is the antithesis of wrestling. Yeah. And he's getting over it. So but he also, it seems like Mankind was well chosen because he kind of represented those average people that weren't meant to go anywhere and they're just trying to make it through life. So what do you think of a connection between Mankind and Bray Wyatt? Because he is pretty on the nasty scale too, right? Oh, I think that's just a Twitter rumor. I've never heard any relationship between those two. I think Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt was probably closer to The Undertaker in terms of like that you think so? personality. Yeah. But he had that same mentality, that great psychology. And before, so as we start to wind down, we have to mention Mick's books. because How I, many books has he written? Mr. Brown, I think that is your Encyclopedia Brown? I, I want to say like not. That sounds racist. <laughs> you called him Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Brown. Brown. I didn't say Mr. Brown. Okay, I'll make sure to throw Encyclopedia Brown. Encyclopedia Brown, Brown was Mr. a white Brown. kid. Mr. Hispanic over here. <laughs> but speaking, Mr. Pink? I don't know. <laughs> Mr. Brown. Speaking of organic stuff, so Mick became super popular, became champion, and WWE had signed a book deal. Okay. And they said three superstars were slotted for that. Stone Cold, The Rock, and Mankind. Okay. okay. And they said, Mick, you're up first. That's a pretty prestigious company to find yourself in. And Mick goes, okay, I'll do it. But he kind of knew. They're testing the waters. Right. And so the lady calls him in and gives him, okay, you know, we'll set you up with a ghostwriter, this and that, and it'll be totally great. Like, all right, excellent. And Mick calls back a little while, and he's like, hey, my ghostwriter isn't working out. And the company, the lady that represented it goes, oh, that's fine. This happens all the time. We'll send you as many as you need. You know, we'll switch it out. And Mick goes, actually, I kind of want to write it myself. Complete silence from the lady. I imagine, mm-hmm. yeah. And That's Mick, not the way it works. <laughs> and Mick finally, he, he goes, okay, how about this? I'll send you some stuff, and if you like it, I'll be the writer. Sure, Mick, yeah. Well, hardcore right. legend writing your own book. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm sure. And she said that it was the most pleasant surprise that he was such a good writer that they said, go ahead. And there are stories of that he started writing on a legal pad in longhand form his own life story. Oh, wow. Triple H said he would wake up from these, like, six-hour flights, you know, nonstop flights, and he'd look over Mick's writing his own life story. And when the book came out, it became a New York Times bestseller, like, twice over. Not bad. It, people were saying that there were people lined up along the block. Again, he was not supposed to be this popular. He was kind of the test dummy. People are lined up around the block to pick up his book. And I do recommend it. It's called Have a Nice Day, the story of mankind, Have a Nice Day. Okay. It's quite a good book. He's a very eloquent man when it comes to writing. I do recommend it. 
but it sort of launched off his career to other stuff. I always like finding people, uh, famous people that are famous for one thing, and then they end up to actually be a very good writer. Steve Martin, Hugh Laurie are just two right off the top of my head. But it's always a nice surprise when you're like, wow, this person can write. Right. So there were 11 books that he wrote throughout his whole career, including memoirs, children's fiction, and contemporary fiction. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Maybe that's why Triple H didn't really like him in real life, because he was jealous. He was actually, like, talented in more than just the ring. Yeah. I mean, yeah. his net worth is 14 mil as of right now. I mean, make set for life, then. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I mean, that kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, where when I think of McFoley, I'm not thinking of anything that he did to be a superstar other than just take the punishment. It's hard to respect someone that you beat the crap out of all the time. And then when you find out that you have to respect them because they've published 11 books, that can really kind of be like, no, 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 you're the, you're the guy I beat up. I'm not supposed to have to respect you. And that can create a lot of animosity. Uh, one, of, one of the cases in that situation was with Nature Boy, Ric Flair. They actually had a going back and forth talk of dissing each other on their books. That's got to be the only way, because if Ric Flair was in the ring with Mick Foley, Mick Foley would never take a hit. It wouldn't be a match. Flair would cower in the corner, and Foley would sit there going, come on, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. me. That's it. I mean, that, that, so they have to do it in words, because the match would just suck. Ghost Rider. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Ghost Rider, you're you're right. (laughs) Mick did claim that uh, Flair was a bad uh, booker in his 1999 book, Have a Nice Day that uh flooded that floodgates opened pretty much and nature boy retaliated by describing foley as a glorified stuntman in his book wow harsh okay mick foley that's the industry the industry is a bunch of glorified stuntmen who come in and do spectacular stunts and i'm sorry but rick flair he's one of my favorites all he did was flop the man couldn't take a punch the man couldn't take a hit the man couldn't i mean so, yeah, he's not even a glorified stuntman. He can't even do the stunts. But you know what? That stuntman, Mick Foley, he put butts in the seats. Oh, man. And that's the thing. The stunts that he did, you see how he does them and how he achieves them, and you cannot imagine how he came away uninjured. And a lot of times he didn't. But the stunts, and you, never once did he pull. You know, honestly, whenever you have your reaction to Hell in the Cell, look at the audience members. After he does a stunt, after something big happens, make sure to look at the audience. They think he's dead. They are all just awestruck. I mean, I I can imagine because some of the clips I've seen, some of the punishment that I've seen him take, how could you not be dead? Mm -hmm. And he never pulled back at the last minute. He never, you know, turned too much. So very obviously he was landing correctly. You know, he hit what he was aiming for. And what he was aiming for was made of wood and metal and concrete. So I'll, I'll leave you with this, because after we do this reaction video, at the very end, after it's finally all said and done, and the Undertaker goes for the pin, I want you to look at Mick's, I believe, his right leg. And after he takes all this punishment, you know, someone who is about to be wheeled to the hospital, he's being pinned, you see the right leg just kick up, just almost instinctively, like, oh, I can't, I'm I gotta not, keep I'm, moving. I gotta keep yeah. going. After all this punishment, you're gonna see, you're gonna see it, and it, it is. 
I, I got goosebumps just thinking about mm-hmm. it. I, I mean, honestly, Mick, he could have named his book The Show Must Go On. I mean, from what I've seen, he just... And again, I'm looking forward to that. Again, everybody, check out the Cram Network on YouTube for the release coming up soon. Yes. But no, I'm, I'm getting very stoked for it. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And I think that... As long as it's a good reaction video, maybe we should get some more Mankind in there. Because it seems like some spectacular, spectacular stunts. You definitely need to watch the Mankind Edge yes. match. That one is I intense. don't want to watch the Mankind Edge. Rock, This Is Your Life? <laughs> You're going to love the that. The Rock, This Is Your Life? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Royal I, Rumble 98. I leave it up to... I'd, I'd love another Royal Rumble. I actually enjoyed my last one. <laughs> I leave it up to the two smarks in the room to definitely pick what I'm going to be watching. But yeah, we're excited for this next, uh, what we hope to be a series coming out. Well, I mean, I guess that's a good note. I think we, it's a good note to end it on. Um, so with that, all that being said, thank you so much for listening. I'm Luguetta. I'm Ray Rodriguez. I'm Mike Ford. And I'm Adan Mateo. And keep a lookout. Uh, we'll see that reaction video soon. And be sure to check out the Cram Network on YouTube, Spotify, and Rumble. And check out our Patreon as well.